no pressure, Tom Brassington. You know, the fate of a nation lies on your shoulders. Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to really think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time-poor and enthusiasm-rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Neil Almond. Good to be back. And Elliot Morgan. Hello. Thanks for having me. And together, we're going to explore writing moderation. But first, Neil, what's you reading for? What are you reading for? So I don't think it's been mentioned yet, but I'm currently reading uh, Richard Selfridge and James Pembroke's uh, Data Proof Your School, How to Use ses- Assessment Data Effectively. And it's just a book. I think if you're really interested in being a senior leader or thinking about challenging some practices that perhaps have been done to you by your senior leadership with regards to data and how it's gathered and how it could be used uh, for appraisals, for your own appraisal and kind of the issues that could be around such um, practices, then yeah, it's a really good concise book about really getting deep into what data is useful, what data isn't useful, talking about validity and reliability of certain data. And then it kind of accumulates in this kind of final chapter where it kind of puts it all together into what they would see as uh, an effective use of uh, data gathering for your school. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it is one of those texts that, yeah, every teacher, if you're in senior leadership, read it. If you're thinking about going into senior leadership, definitely read it. Elliot, what are you reading for? So coincidentally, I am reading the same book as Neil, which in fact we decided upon on the Tadafe uh, Discord as a, a book club that Neil suggested to start running. This is our first book. You're not too late to come and join us because we haven't met to discuss it yet. Uh, yeah, I won't go too much further into details because Neil's essentially summarised the same thinking I've had. Um, but you're a lot further along in the book than I am. I'm just at the bit where they talk about progress measures and I think their analysis of it is just really like pinpoint. It's really precise. It, it just like saying that, like, oh, schools have fought in the past, like the more bandings you have, then apparently like the sort of more pro- uh, progress you can prove and all that sort of stuff. It really hits home. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to sort of getting to that last chapter that, that Neil mentioned, um, where it summarises and sort of gives their points of how to go forward. Uh, what about you, Kieran? What are you reading for? Do we know when that is going to be, Neil? Have you any ideas? Are we giving people to the end of March to read the book? Yeah, I think until the end of March, and then potentially, depending on how people are doing, uh, start the first one in the, the Easter holidays, because I hope they will give, give people enough time to read it if they haven't read it by then. And hopefully, yeah, bring out some good discussions. We, we very nearly had three identical recommendations because I too am reading it and I too am a little bit further behind. Um, I think progress measures is my next bit, Elliot, so I'm looking forward to that. I've gone for a piece by Daisy Christodoulou from 2017, Five Ways You Can Make the Primary Writing Moderation Process Less Stressful. And I'm not going to say too much about it because I'm going to come back to this at the end of the of the episode, but um, needless to say, you know, written in 2017, but still, I think, quite useful for teachers at the moment in 2022. 
So I think data proofing your school is going to focus our thoughts in this episode. We're going to look at writing moderation. But before we get stuck in, what is writing moderation and why do we do it, Neil? So writing moderation is effectively what replaced, if you recall in a previous episode um, regarding writing, we talked about how there used to be the key stage two writing sats where children were effectively asked to write a cold task um, for various reasons that was uh, discarded. And so the idea was that over the course of year six or key stage two, students should produce a portfolio of writing that you could then use should you be selected by your local authority to prove your judgments as to whether children were meeting the uh, expected standard or achieving beyond the expected standard uh, with regards to writing. It's important to note that writing moderation also happens uh, at the end of year two, so key stage one, but for the purpose of this episode we're focused mainly on writing moderation as is at year six at the end of key stage two. Elliot why why do we do it? Uh, well we've all got staff meetings to fill don't we? Um, no uh, I joke although that, that, that ten, does tend to be on the, the staff meeting calendar for the year at some point doesn't it? Like meet with your year group partners and uh, and moderate Ryan. I, I suppose it's multi, uh, multi-faceted or whatever term you want to use there's many benefits but most of all, it's improving your own understanding uh, of expectations, isn't it? Of, of statements or where you think a piece of writing is, but mostly development of either your own or colleagues' understanding as to where a child should be or um, whether you agree or disagree on where they are. And perhaps indirectly to gauge how well read they are or how effective reading is. I think it probably demonstrates those gives an inkling perhaps as to those children who genuinely read for pleasure at home because I think that's where you see if they bring in some ideas because you can get an idea of perhaps the class text that was written based by looking at um, the pieces of writing that are done because they'll follow a particular theme but I think yeah it, it gives you a little bit of an insight as to who's reading kind of beyond that particular area of study or who's actually you know reading wider at home and actually really enjoys it because they tend to bring in those ideas to uh, those pieces. I think Elliot you're reaching into what my next question will be about what the benefits and the potential cons might be. I think as to why we do it as schools I think it's because we would like a world to exist in which it was possible to measure the quality of writing and hold schools accountable for the quality of writing in the same way that we might be able to do, for instance, with reading or mathematics and science to an extent. And so, yeah, I think when we think about why we do it, it's potentially almost worth looking at the real reason why we do it as opposed to the reasons we might say we do it yeah so you know probably setting my stall out quite early not a massive fan and sort of big time agreeing with what you're you're saying there neil so putting that to one side for a second 
what are the develop those potential benefits then Elliot what you were talking about getting an understanding of pupils and things what, what do you think the benefits of writing moderation are uh in terms of for pupils probably fairly limited um depending on how much the teacher takes away from it but from a teacher's uh, perspective i'd say benefits yeah improving your own um judgment of of the standards or where writing is or should be uh, quite good development for your own subject knowledge, especially when discussing it with more knowledgeable peers or people who've perhaps been in uh, year six or longer than you or have been a moderator or been moderated. One thing I always found quite handy, actually, when I first entered year six and we were doing those sort of moderation sessions across a trust or, or with literacy lead or whoever, is that they were very good for sort of finding good pieces of writing to do or like good ideas for planning or how to meet certain statements or how to demonstrate certain ideas. So like a lot of year six teachers seem to love uh, Alma, which is a, a short video. seems like every year six teacher in the land does that. But it's, it's very handy for yeah, drawing out those ideas. I think there is a benefit potentially for the teachers in that if you're, uh, you know, you're coming around to different schools, whether within the, you're a, a, tr a trust, if you're doing this at a trust level or uh, at a local authority level, you do get that glimpse into what's happening uh, in those other classrooms, and that can be quite uh, rewarding or quite daunting, depend depending on uh, what's being put in front of you. It also gives uh, teachers an idea of you know what they should, what students should be capable of, and that standard that you should be. If you are new to Year Six, I think writing is one of the hardest aspects purely because and this kind of ties into uh, a negative purely because uh, what uh, human nature as it is you know what one local authority classifies as greater depth another one may not there might be certain criteria that one local authority uh, hold higher than another criteria for example but i think it gives you an idea of what that standard of writing is and I think that's useful because it means that you can then, you know, increase your expectations as to what you should be doing. Um, there's certainly, you know, that's certainly no bad thing. But I really think, you know, it's um, trying to find something good in the system uh, where there's very little good in it at all, I think, personally. When I thought about the benefits, it, it was definitely about developing an awareness. The question, you know, which we may not need to answer right now then becomes, do we need to do right in moderation to develop ourselves and develop our understanding of how we can help pupils write? You know, is, is that just a fortunate byproduct, like you say, of a, of a broken system? Or is it essential for us to develop that? You know, because I think there are definitely lots of pros about reading lots of pieces from outside your context so that you can see what's possible. But I think we'll get to, you know, potential alternatives. What do you think the cons are, Elliot? Yeah, I think it is entirely achievable, those things you mentioned, without having to do moderation. And like you said, it is, are we doing it just because it is SLT saying we need to hold staff accountable and we want to see consistency across a year group, and, and that's why we're doing it. I think largely it, it probably is. In terms of sort of downfalls of, of moderating writing, it, I'm sort of coming at this from a, a year six perspective. I should probably preface that I think I'm probably more in favour of moderation than Kieran and Neil are, but 
only slightly and perhaps probably because a huge sunk cost bias from being in year six years and being a moderator but um so cons i've noticed i feel like some of the statements in the year six framework are perhaps a little bit too wordy um or sort of left without definition or sort of abundant examples for teachers it feels like you're sort of left to your own devices to try and figure out exactly what they mean or exactly how to evidence them i think moderation is it's impossible to remove that uh remove the teacher bias uh, that will always be there that's sub over overly subjective and sort of that illusion that you can remain objective against these standards but you can't i also think the moderator training process i don't know if it's changed much since i did it the first time but a few years ago it, it just wasn't fit for purpose the sta were giving the moderator who was training us as the moderators just giving them a script and they weren't allowed to deviate from it we weren't allowed to ask questions so i think it, it fell down quite a lot there a huge part of where moderation falls down is, um, as we were saying in sort of the pre-chat, a lot of teachers, and myself included, sort of naively assume that the, the top children in your class are just going to be great at depth, just because they're the top children, aren't they? So I must have, oh, I've got four children who are sort of the brightest, I'm going to have four great at depth, and that, that's not really quite how it works. Um, and, and then lastly, I would say we can also make our teaching far too prescriptive because we're trying to use this checklist and we think that writing has to fit this, this tick box exercise which is just not how writing works in, in any sort of manner. Yeah, you can't talk about the cons of moderation without talking about this idea of not just teacher bias, but human bias. And, you know, the seminal text that you know really opened my eyes about that was uh, Daisy Christodoulou's, you know, Making Good Progress, where she really kind of really outlines uh, very clearly <clears throat> that this idea of teacher assessment is fundamentally flawed, not because teachers are bad evil people but because we are human and as human we always bring our own biases to the table and there's you, know, you might be aware of them you may not but they're still there and they are exceptionally difficult to overcome and so because you know the data is out there that you know the children of certain ethnicity you know tend to be graded lower uh, children you know who uh you know more likely to be on the free school meals they're graded lower etc and all of those things when you know they don't necessarily deserve those grades i think really is uh, a problem and so i think whilst as i say i am probably against moderation i wouldn't be in favor of a system that continued what we do have without moderation because then I think that opens the floodgates and is a free-for-all. I'm a, a far more radical position in that I think the system would have to change completely because I think if you're going to continue the way it is and that you know you're um, building up this portfolio then yes that moderation has to occur. There is, the, there is the chance that people will not take it serious, will not you know will overgrade purposefully and I think that's far worse than the situation we would have now as an extension of that um you know human biases and what Elliot said it's not clear what greater depth what working at the expected standard is and so yeah it's just not a level playing field and that can vary between moderator to moderator that can vary at the say the local authority level uh, I know, for example, the local authority that I'm in, they are particularly, uh, they are particularly keen to see those year five, six spelling words. So that kind of it influences the kind of writing we have to do because you know, those are 
some pretty obscure words on that spelling list. And so we kind of then have to change the writing to match that. And as I say, you can make it very formulaic. If you want to get a hyphen in there, then, you know, we're going to, your main character has to be called Mary Jane or Emma May and boom, you know, we have a hyphen to make a little compound proper noun there. And, you know, everyone's happy. And yeah, I can say that they've done it. And it doesn't lend itself, I think, to what actually sets children up to be successful writers at the end of the day. And I think many year uh, seven key stage three teachers probably wouldn't correlate what they had in front of them um, compared to the grades that they probably go up with if they were to choose blind as to who they thought got greater depth or working at the expected standard etc. The tips from the article by Daisy Christodoulou that I recommended and what you're reading for is to check your greater depth and, say, and she says in brackets especially if you're school in disadvantaged area because there's particular evidence, those are her exact words, that greater depth is being applied inconsistently and that schools with below average attainment are often reluctant to award greater depth. So I want to jump ahead to that point because you know you guys have sort of both mentioned it. If you're in that context and you believe that your pupils are greater depth, you know, one of the things she's saying is that, you know, and who will know, who will have read the research more than Daisy in, with regards to this? I, I doubt there'll be many people, you know, then we need to, um, you know, don't do yourself a disservice. And I think tying what you guys are saying together, you know, at the start, you mentioned James Pembroke and how he was talking about statistical validity and reliability. And I think it's worth stopping to consider what they mean, you know, and perhaps making sure that we take everyone with us when we sort of explore right moderation in this depth. You know, we think about validity being the, the main extent to which a concept, you know, conclusion or measurement is well-founded and likely corresponds with the real world. So, you know, is what you're seeing a reflection of what other people are seeing? And I think reliability is, is looking at the overall consistency of a measure, you know, so if it has high reliability, then you're going to get the same results under similar conditions or consistent conditions. And I just don't think we have that. Because like you say, we have human biases. We have a range of experience in our moderators. I'm not criticizing the moderators, but when the system's built in such a way that schools are at the behest of the moderator's decision, and the moderator's decisions are inherently flawed by human nature, that's not really acceptable. And I think we deserve better as teachers and we deserve, our pupils deserve better, you know, because the people who are ultimately charged with their care and their education should be focused on what is gonna make a difference to them. And I think the priorities that come from right and moderation are misaligned, you know, and maybe this is me thinking in a certain way, you know, and again, it might not be a majority view, but I would prioritize functional literacy and sending pupils to secondary school entirely literate, you know, able to read, able to write, you know, almost error-free, but in a functional and useful manner for 
their time in secondary school. And I think our secondary school colleagues would welcome that because then they could focus their time then on disciplinary writing and on, you know, for instance, if you have a fundamental grasp of the basics, then you can start to become the author that you can become. And I think too much too soon. You know, I don't know who's going to be the one to sort of mention Chris's thoughts on vocabulary, but we almost get distracted by things that aren't necessarily our priority at primary school. And so I think, you know, everything you've said ties in with my thoughts on why something needs to change. And I know this is not a new view. This isn't me saying, I've got this revolutionary new way to think about writing moderation. You know, when I did a quick search earlier on, I saw quite a few people expressing these ideas a long time ago. And so, I, yeah, I, I don't know where we go to next, but I think there are more cons than benefits. And when we think about the fact that we don't need to use writing moderation as the vehicle for those benefits, I find it very difficult to see why it still exists beyond a delusional idea that we can measure the progress of pupils in writing across their time in primary school. So I don't know. So I guess the question is then, is there a way to improve the reliability of assessing writing then? Of all the people to ask that question, Neil, I thought you'd be the first one to answer it because I know <laughs> you know. Yes, there yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm more like, my notes for this one are just, just chime in little bits at the end. Um, you're more qualified to talk about this, I think, than, than I. Okay, and perhaps then I'm going to activate Do you want my... Do to ask the question? No, I'll activate my inner, my inner Christopher and I'll ask the question <laughs> and then also answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I think that there is, and that's through the work of uh, Daisy Christodoulou, who we've mentioned already, um, and what she does through with no more marking and comparative judgments. Uh, very briefly, if you're not aware of what comparative judgment is, whilst um, humans have these biases, uh, research seems to suggest that we are far better at making comparison, far better at making comparison when we're just comparing two things. So what this does is that uh, you are sent a, a cold task which tends to be quite open. You then give your children opportunities and time to write cold. Uh, and by that, I mean no preparation whatsoever. You upload these pieces of writing onto the normal marking system and a window opens for you to uh, judge these pieces of writing. And the way that is done is that you are given two pieces of uh, writing side by side and you merely need to click which piece you think uh, is the superior piece. Uh, when you have uh, 10,000 uh, entries and you have about you know, 1,000 to uh, 2,000 uh, teachers doing that, uh, that starts to increase. And you get teachers agreeing that, yes, you know, this piece of writing has been uh, sent to 20 of these teachers and they both agreed that it's better than this piece that kind of gets that uh, reliability because more people are agreeing yes this piece is better than that and then through the statistical analysis that uh, 
normal marking can do. They can produce things like writing ages. Uh, they can work out boundaries as to whether these pieces of writing would be greater depth or um, not greater depth or working at. And whilst it's not without its limitations, I personally think some form of nationwide comparative judgment exercise, not necessarily run by no more marking, but a comparative judgment exercise nonetheless, would be better, I think, in the long run for both pupils and staff, because it feels to me that you would get that pretty much one benefit of moderation by getting the opportunity to read plenty of pieces of work from you know further afield than just your trust or local educational authority and so that would be a really interesting experiment I guess or you know uh, position to put towards the government as to how we could actually ensure that assessing children's writing is done appropriately it's not without its own uh, drawbacks of course but I think it would be a uh, I can't see how it would be worse than what we currently have. And I can see many ways that it would be better. Um, and I, I think I read on their website or one of their blogs at some point, it, they, they describe it as like it's judgments of quality. Uh, sorry, instead of it being judgments of quality, it's comparisons of quality. And sort of the implication of that being that it offers greater reliability than, than teacher judgment does, which is what we were saying we, we would rather have. One thing I really like about No More Marking is that you can see the reliability of teachers judgments so it gives you a score if you're between zero and one then then you're consistent and then that allows you to go and support teachers that need it or get some who are really good to go and support others and yeah as neil said in sort of the interest of balance while i i agree i do think it is better than writing moderation we should probably mention the pitfalls of of uh of the approach because while it is better it's, it's not uh, without issue perhaps the most obvious one being that handwriting bias so when you're comparing two pieces of writing that uh, teachers or, or humans we naturally tend to favor the one that has a um, better handwriting and that i would assume average time spent looking at the neat handwriting pieces is probably less and that we actually have to spend more time looking at those with worse handwriting which means perhaps more uh, construct uh, more criti critical uh, viewpoints on those pieces and Neil mentioned that they're, they're meant to be cold tasks. Like you meant to just give the, t uh, the children the task and then they do it. But there was a poll on Twitter recently where somebody said, like, how much prep do you do? Do you just give them no prep? Do you give them brief chat? Do you give them one lesson or do you give them two lessons? And, and this is the amount of prep that they have. And I think it was something like 70% said that they have like either a brief chat, a lesson or two lessons. But the idea behind it is that it's meant to be a cold task. And that can sort of damage the validity or reliability I guess in in the sense that it's not being not every teacher is implementing it as it's intended um, which is obviously no no fault of, of the platform um, and I, I imagine some teachers are probably giving more than the 45 minutes I think it is you're meant to get per task I imagine some are going over that amount as well which again can can sort of damage that um, that reliability of it um, but yeah overall despite those those sort of critiques it is uh, far superior to what we have now and certainly negates some of the issues that we have now or starts to starts to negate them Just from a mathematical standpoint it makes so much sense that that is the way to almost remove the influence of our biases is by you know this almost economy of scale where you make it a massive generalization you know it makes so much sense and there are other 
examples, even within education, you know, I think the big criticism of um, of lesson observation is the sheer number of people you would need to get a reliable judgment of the quality of the lesson. But you can actually do it in this instance because you can have thousands of people potentially, you know, um, moderating and writing. So I think, yeah, I, I can see how that would sort of satisfy my internal empiricist. And, you know, I'm always aiming to do that as much as I possibly can. And I think it's really interesting you um, you mentioned sort of some of the pitfalls, because that was definitely going to be my question, because I don't have an alternative. And obviously, when we've spoken about this in the past, it seems to me like it's either comparative judgment or nothing. And I think, you know, from what, from what I'm sort of listening to both tonight, I'm thinking the, removing everything and having the system in place that might be just as bad as maintaining the status quo. So it sounds like comparative judgment is something that's well worth looking at. You know, um, if, it, if it could be on a national scale, that would be fantastic, you know, because if you think about the opportunity cost and the workload cost and the amount of time that goes into writing moderation. You're making a good point here and it harks back to what you said at the start about um, are we doing moderation just because of sort of like senior leadership want it for consistency and accountability and like they want to see like oh everyone needs to understand like what year six looks like or what year five looks like but this is something that's a, a real advantage of no more marking and comparative judgment is that you, you can get your all of your staff to sign up and then judge the classes writing then everyone understands oh this is what year two writing looks like this is what year three and you do it every time you've got a different class so and it that's way better than than what we have just going right Year four teachers go and moderate each other's. Year three go and moderate each other's. Everyone's looking at everyone's work. Yeah, with regards to those in-person moderation meetings, I don't think I've ever been to one that's been truly successful. <laughs> because everyone's there for the... Everyone knows the reason why they're there. No one really wants to go through the hassle of actually challenging them. So you'll go, oh, what do you think they are? Here's some evidence. And people just tend to go, yeah. Here are mine. Do you agree with them as well? Yeah. Great, you know, yeah. that's finished half an hour earlier than it needs to be. You know, we can all go home now. Yeah. And then, then it moves on to like, oh, how many great adepts are you going to have in maths in SATs this year? <laughs> Swiftly moves on to SATs, doesn't it? Yeah. And no matter how well uh, you know, people are trying to manage that, I don't think it's ever been successful. I think going back to your point, Kieran, I think it's something like you need five judges to watch you over six lessons only for uh you know to get a reliable rating that doesn't mean that it's necessarily you know they can't tell you that it's good or bad it's just that you know that's just for a reliable rating uh just thinking about some of those cons that morgue said i so say why i think that comparative judgment kind of would be but i think because surely i think handwriting bias is still a thing in writing moderation as well so fundamentally it's not introducing a new bias that it's solving, if that makes sense. I don't think we're there yet, but I can kind of see how in the next maybe, you know, 10, 15 years, you know, I can point my camera at some text on my iPhone camera, uh, you know, on some notes that I've written on a whiteboard and my phone can scan that text and you can read my handwriting and then change that to print. So if there were a way that when these were scanned up to the cloud and through the power of, you know, uh, AI, it could transpose it into text, but still maintain all the uh, 
original you know errors that were there be that punctuation then i think actually you're more likely to solve that handwriting issue uh than through using this kind of comparative judgment exercise rather than through moderation process what i like about normal marking is at the end of each um yearly judgment that they do or judgment for each year group is that two or three weeks later you then get sent a pack of the best like you get like five of the best five of the middle ones and like five of the worst all anonymized and i just think how useful would that be for teachers every year every time we go through this process we actually we can get those packs so we can really get that understanding as to like what this this range is as well and if it's been you know validated because enough people have agreed that that's so then that's far better than you know, go through the process of, oh, you know, we've been moderated this year, they've agreed our judgment. So let's just go and photocopy, you know, those agreed pieces of you know, greater depth writing, working out writing, um, but they just stay in that school, you know, those don't get uploaded anywhere. To make our judgments, you're either relying on previous teachers doing that, or you're still working in with those examples that the teacher assessment framework gave us in 2015, 16, whenever that was. So I understand that there are those disadvantages to it, but funny enough, when you compare those disadvantages to what's currently happening now with um, writing moderation, uh, they, you know, they're comparable anyway, I think. I don't think that you're introducing any kind of new variants in there. I think my one concern with it is that it would totally depend. It would still involve teacher bias as to what that teacher thought good writing was so you could have a what might be considered you know a quite a mundane but technically accurate and concise piece of writing versus a child who's kind of you know tried to include some flowery language and or perhaps you know um, incorrectly so we were writing some instructions on pancakes in year six for pancake day and I had um you know, the sentence you know, meticulously, comma, uh, pour the pancake batter into the pan. It's like, well, you know, meticulously fundamentally is used wrong there. Like that is not a good use of the word meticulously at all. But if you had that and versus just, you know, something more mundane, but, you know, technically accurate of just you know, pour the batter into the frying pan, you know, for me, pour the batter into the frying pan is far superior to meticulously pour the batter in the frying pan. But I think because we're so used to this kind of tick box nature of, oh, yeah, front of that verbial, comma afterwards, brilliant. Going to tab that one or you know, even worse, you know, get the uh, APP style sheet and date to date that uh, with the, uh, the date so I can refer back to that. That's where you could get the issue with it because I think it's possible that most teachers actually prefer, well, you know, or at least they're trying to improve, you know, to use some interesting vocabulary versus actually, do you know what, it's just technically it's nice, but technically it's not right. So, no, actually pour the frying pan into, uh, pour the batter into the frying pan is far superior to meticulously pour the batter into the pan. Yeah, I, I can totally see where you're coming from. Now, I know more because this one will interest you. What does greater depth look like in writing? So I'm, I've got a bit of a monologue here. So uh, Chris Such is here in spirit, everyone. 
and I'll mention something that he he, he uh, asked us to discuss. But I think in, in before we sort of talk about what greater death in year six either does or doesn't look like, it's important to talk about how this year, given the two years we've had with sort of the lack of reading instruction and just general time reading in class with, with a teacher that children have had, that there, there will be a, a drastic, drastic reduction in, in the amount of children that will achieve the greater depth standard because of how closely tied being well-read is to being a good writer, um, especially in the greater depth, uh, greater depth statement where they, they draw on what they read or, or whatever it says. And I, I, I tweeted about it yesterday, but I spoke, I was on a moderation Zoom thing yesterday and I spoke to 10 different teachers in London and they all said they've had zero or one uh, child at greater depth. So if you have the same, then you're not alone. So don't, don't, uh, don't panic. The whole issue about this is, is, you know, that's the messages you're getting from, you know, your moderation, the messages that I get from my moderating, you know, can be quite different. And I'd say the one thing that has stood out, and I think I mentioned it before, is that five, six spelling list, like... I've never seen it, but I have heard that, you know, moderators are coming in and do ask teachers, you know, right, show me where they're using those five, six spelling words and where they're spelled correctly. But again, you know, whether that that may not necessarily be reflective of what happens in your in your moderation uh, meetings, etc. I think the one pitfall to avoid, and this is something that um, Morgs has kind of helped me realise as well, is that in terms of building up this portfolio, it doesn't need to be, the, the pieces themselves, the individual pieces don't need to be too long. Obviously, you know, the more you write, the harder it is to, to sustain that cohesion between paragraphs and that cohesion between the plots, et cetera, et cetera. You know, far, um, far better to have a page, a page and a half of solid writing, uh, you know, less than that, rather than, you know, three or four pages of, length where you can kind of see that yeah it starts off really really strong and then you know by the halfway down the third page you can see that you know their stamina is going off and you know they're starting to get a little bit little bit sloppy so I guess kind of more of a not what makes greater depth but a top tip there is you know length of piece of writing does not make for greater depth it is the quality of the writing well, I think the, the sort of the biggest issue with year six in sort of not meeting greater depth is that it's not necessarily solely understood in just not meeting those four statements that, that uh, lay out the greater depth. It's that it, they, each of those statements actually goes a lot deeper than what they suggest. And I think, well, first and foremost, the greater depth charge is sort of demonstrating those statements consistently throughout their collection of writing. But it's all about them making conscious choice about around sort of the appropriateness of the language they use based on the, the context of, of the writing. And the difficulty that presents for us as teachers is that all of those statements are quite interrelated with one another. So the first one, something like write effectively for a range of purposes and, and audiences. Does the child achieve what they set out to do and have they done so consistently? But then the, the next statement is something like distinguish between the language of speech and writing and, and whatever it may be. And that's essentially just saying, well, have they achieved what the first statement talks about? And, and how have they achieved that? So there's a lot of issues in that for teachers. And obviously if, they, if it makes it hard for teachers to understand this, it's hard to teach it, isn't it? But in terms of sort of what the STA have hinted at uh, and what might hold back a people from that greater depth standard, they've talked in the past about um, accuracy. So accuracy of punctuation or perhaps a precision of a choice of word, which I linked here to what, what Chris said. 
So Chris was saying that a really annoying point is that, um, well, Neil's already hinted at it, the, the vocabulary, just forcing in and spooning in these large words just because, oh, they're longer, they, they seem better. It, it seems that that's greater depth, isn't it? Just using longer and bigger words. Uh, but in fact, that's like quite the opposite. It's about using precision. And if precision is just saying, pull the batter in, then that is the right choice. So with that precision, it, it comes that sort of sophistication of the, the choice of vocabulary um, and their sentence structure and, and how they use punctuation. And, and that builds into how they're consistent within and across pieces. And, and that's been across a narrative or, or non-narrative. Or non and I know in the past, and, and Neil said, mentioned this to me earlier, like the difficulty of great depth is often people are like, oh, it's just the flair, isn't it? Or like, you just read that first paragraph and you just know. But what, what does that mean? How, how, do you, how do you quantify that for, um, or qualify that for, for teachers so they can understand and actually look at a piece of writing and go, yeah, that is great depth. A big part of that is perhaps a lack of errors, um, that they, they don't have many omissions of full stops or anything like that, that hamper their, their flow, um, and that they don't have, they're not repetitive with vocabulary unless that's um, a sort of authorial choice. So like if you're trying to um, persuade someone, then you might repeat the same thing again and again. And so their language is has to be matched to the context. And if it's not matched to it, uh, and it seems it comes across less affected, then you could argue that they're not great at depth because they're not making that conscious decision to use it. A big thing to look out for is any weaknesses in sort of verb forms and tenses. Um, are they confident in how these present progressive and past perfect and so on? The most common one I've seen as sort of the year six teacher and uh, moderator, which I think probably holds back a lot of children is use of commas comma splices um, children not using them to sort of avoid that ambiguity and, and just putting them in too much so you need to use them to avoid miscues so that common one that people always use is like a panda eats shoots and leaves and it's like without the commas it sounds like he eats and then he, he shoots you with a gun sort of thing rather than he eats shoots which is what he eats and so on um, a big thing that greater deaf children use with commas is indicating relative clauses i think all really effective writing tends to use relative clauses to add extra information or using commas for uh, vocative so addressing people or to um, distinguish nouns between each other like his brother comma Stephen greater depth writers they're not they don't use predictable clause structure and they're, they're not repetitive in what they use they, they they mix it up but not just because like right I've done a subordinate clause. Now I'm going to do a prepositional phrase. Now I'm going to do a fronted adverbial because that goes back to that tip box in that Neil was talking about. And lastly, because I know I've sort of gone on and on and on there, when I was on that moderation meeting yesterday, the um, lady who was sort of leading it for our borough in London was talking about the STA talk about the word undermine. Is there anything in this child's writing that undermines the overall impact of their writing? So like, do they, do they use incorrect verbs or, do they, or adverbs that like, that affect overall their writing across all their different pieces? Do they have a lack of certain punctuation? Are they using comma splices too much and it, and it is causing ambiguity? Um, so th those are a list of many things um, that I would say. My sort of major issue is that of the list of things you gave, Elliot, I don't see why we shouldn't expect those things of all pupils when they're writing, you know, particularly when they're leaving key stage two, you know, should all pupils be writing for a purpose? You know, if they're not, what, what is it that they're doing? And if their verbs don't agree, then is, there, is it potentially that they haven't understood a grammatical sort of piece of, of writing earlier on? And like year three, four, you're talking about progressive tenses and things. Those things come on quite early in key stage two, don't they? So when I, whenever I look at greater depth, 
like you said at the start, Neil, it almost feels like the kids who read more and can mimic authors more get rewarded for the amount of reading they've done. You know, and because our priorities are in the wrong place, because we're not looking for pupils who are clinical in their writing and are using things accurately, and probably because we don't know what good writing looks like, you know, in general, then I think the existence of greater depth for me is on both unnecessary and I think just confuses the issue, you know, so because I, I, I'm, I'm listening to the you know, and those are definitely things that people should be aware of because they're going to be held accountable for them. You know, we're not going to change anything between now and moderation, but I just don't see it. I don't understand. Am I missing something? No, not at all. Um, and if anything, it highlights that point Neil said earlier about that does an assessment um, perhaps favour a particular group of children and so on. And, and if you are, yeah, if we're talking about the, the direct link, but uh, the direct link between how much a child has read and how well they can mimic it, then yeah, then moderation and greater depth writing probably favours the middle-class child from leafy suburbia who perhaps live in a house that's so big, they've got shelves and shelves of books and, and the sort of the working class child who perhaps lives in a, a, like one room with them, their uh, parent and another sibling and they don't have access to books. It, it, is it like unfairly excluding that child from the process? just because they haven't been given, afforded that same opportunity, even though they've both been given the same teaching instruction. Um, so yeah, I think that's quite a pertinent, pertinent point that you make. The only member of the Tanabe family with a direct link to the education minister is Tom Brassington, because obviously they were in touch last week. So Tom, you've got, you've got sort of the, the relatively small task of passing on our message so that we can make systemic change a reality over the next year or so. But between now and then, what are your top tips for those who will eventually go through the writing moderation process, whether that be within their schools or as part of the statutory process? So I've, I've come at this from the angle of, because I know we're, we're sort of favouring year six teachers here. Um, so for year six teachers preparing for, for moderation, I would say that any piece of writing that you're going to present in moderation have, we don't have to type it, but have uh, the context of that writing prepared. So whenever moderators are trained, they're given pieces that they have to look at and they have to say whether they're expected great depth and so on. And you're always given a context at the start, like children were uh, wrote this narrative after um, learning about how to create atmosphere and tension and describe setting in a, in a story or whatever. So then that, that's naturally what you end up looking for when you then go to read it, because you've been told that's what they were taught and that's the context of it. Um, and that really helps to illuminate for the moderator and guide to them guide for them where they're looking what they're looking at and especially when you're writing for purpose an audience you now know right oh i know what to see in this oh it's a formal letter okay i know that i'm looking perhaps for passive and i'm not looking for contractions and so on and if i do see contractions then oh perhaps they haven't achieved the level of formality i want and so on so that'd be the first thing having context prepared and linking to that I talked about that's sort of what happens when moderators train well train to be a moderator if you want i know it's a bit late for this this year but for next year because it's no real additional workload you do one bit uh, they give you some uh, pupils to analyze you analyze them you pass you do like one half afternoon or day of training at one point and then you go into schools and do it so it, it and it really does help you to understand the process uh, better and really does help to inform your teaching um, of writing another uh, piece of advice i would give is to do the same pieces as the exemplifications were given 
because so for example there's uh, is it frankie i think is the great adept child that they they released a few years ago and in one of uh, their pieces they have a short story about opening the fridge and it's really good for like building tension because they're, they're intentionally vague and so on it's like well you know that piece constitutes greater depth because they've annotated for you what makes it greater depth so why not go and do a short story trying to build tension and then teach the children around it look this is what constitutes greater depth writing this is what uh, uh, this is a great depth child and this is how they've achieved that because they've done this and they've done that and um, because the idea is that children mimic what they've been taught and what they've been they've uh, what they've read so those exemplars are, are, are the bible they are gold dust in creating ideas for you text to write um, and they also indicate to you length and, and how to meet the statement so they're, they're really really good and don't just look for sort of the original annotated ones they've released online you can find them online if you just google moderator uh, exercise training or whatever it may be the, the ones from 2018 2019 2017 they're all online you can find them um, and if you have any difficulty find them just let me know and I'll, I'll point you in the right direction if you get into this point of the year and you know uh, that you're, you could be moderated or you find out at the end of such weeks that you're that you are moderate don't write any new pieces just go back to old pieces from september or december or whatever and redraft them because think about how much more each child in your class now knows about writing, about editing, about drafting and proofing, and, and, or how much more they know about punctuation and verb choice, wherever it may be. It is far easier to go and take a piece they've already written, dedicate a lot of time to redrafting that, editing it and improving it, than it is to just go and write an entirely new piece. Um, and every time I say that to teachers, they always seem like, and it was a light bulb moment for me when I, whenever somebody first told me, well, I realized I can't remember, but, yeah, why, why reinvent the world? There's no need to write new pieces. Make sure that you understand each statement in that framework and, and how to evidence it and using those exemplifications is very good for that. Um, and also understanding what, what particular weakness is and what, how, what constitutes that. If you are listening to this and you are SLT, make sure that you're releasing your year six teachers. Are you giving them time to go and collate these portfolios, to read through it, to do extra writing interventions or to do extra pieces of writing, whatever it may be? And are you, have you adapted your marking policy to suit their workload? Because in year six, the, the workload is high. And there are, if you're having to uh, collate six pieces of writing for every child, that's, that's a lot of work, um, whether they'd be done in September or, or, or now. So are you giving them that time out to do it? Are you, or are you coming to support them and taking children out to do interventions or pieces? Perhaps try and involve year five teachers so that they're aware of the end goal. That's something I've always tried to do when I was in year six. I used to always get our year five teachers. They knew like what we're trying to work towards. And then they, that builds into how they teach their grammar lessons and, and their writing sessions. So I always used to do a free, uh, free piece draft. So like they'd write a draft and do a second draft, then the final piece. And I think a useful piece of advice is that children can always type a draft. Um, I know you're only meant to have like one typed piece, but if you're going to have written pieces, why not let them type a draft? You turn off the spell checker, turn off the grammar help, you're allowed to do it. It's quicker, it's easier for them to spot mistakes. Um, it's only the final piece that needs to be uh, legible, joined handwriting. Um, so if, it, if that's difficult for them, let them type or let them write comfortably and then only insist on that legible, joined handwriting for greater depth in the final piece. Um, it doesn't need to be in it in every single piece, uh, every draft. And then lastly, the, Neil touched on it already, there is absolutely nothing wrong with pieces of writing that are one page long. If you write, if you give children two hours to write four pages, even your best writers are going to not have the stamina. It's going to dwindle. And it's just, and I see that when I've moderated, it always happens. As far as I'm aware, there is nothing anywhere that dictates the length of a piece of writing that they have to write. I've seen poems being used that are like a few stanzas. I've seen short stories like that one I mentioned, Opening the Fridge, that's at about a page long. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't need to be longer than four or five paragraphs.
and that's how you, you maintain that that quality it's all about quality and not quantity which i think perhaps that that sort of writing pages and pages perhaps from a bygone era from the previous curriculum i, I don't know um but yeah unless somebody can prove me wrong and tell me otherwise which i'd love to know if, if it is true i have not seen anything that dictates how long the pieces of writing need to be so yeah those are sort of be my top tips of if you're preparing uh, preparing for a, a moderation 45 minutes of meets in and we need to crash the system and then some solid gold advice that's actually useful in the classroom from work so have you blogged about that i haven't but given how, like interactions with teachers and, and feeling like how i was in my first year of year six and just not knowing and having to rely on others i think i probably will sort of maybe go through and evidence each of the statements what greater depth how you could evidence it what it perhaps perhaps looks like i mean terms like using the appropriate register we're just assuming teachers know what i mean and i'll be honest i had no idea what it meant i had to google it oh register means this okay great taking none of that for granted i think i probably will blog on it in the, the coming weeks and pro um, probably point towards those resources i touched on as well that'd be awesome any tips you'd add neil i think i can add three the first one is we found it useful that when you are writing that those finished pieces, you have your own separate book for them. So then you actually don't have to go through their main book and work out where, where they all are and gather all of that and go, oh God, you know, was this in their first book, their second book, their third book, they got through whatever it might be. So we have like a, a we call, I think we call it like a, we call it our writing progress book where like those final pieces will actually go into there. The second piece of advice that I have is do check out Elliot's resources that he has on his um, TES uh, shop. Um, I know he's got, uh, he's collated a, a useful pack of uh, greater depth writing resources that were moderated. So if you want a few more examples of what greater depth is. And the third thing is just listen back to all of Elliot's advice because that was pure gold. I don't know. It's, it's been a while since I was a writing moderator. I'm not sure if I was a writing moderator before 2016 or not, but I would like to point towards Daisy's five sort of ways to make the moderation process less stressful. She says, look outside your school or network. You know, so like we said earlier on, trying to get that, that scale increased. You know, and also exposure to sort of higher quality work or different work, you know, work that's not from your context. She also says, use what we know about the results last year um, and sort of taking how pupils have compared against the interim framework to support us in our, in our judgment making. I think I probably need to explore that one a little bit more. Like I said earlier, check your greater depth because schools with below average attainment are reluctant to award greater depth. And I think just because, you know, especially since it's been several years since we had any attainment school's gonna be a very different place from what it was remember that all achievement is on a continuum you know and i think this came up at the time whenever we were sort of first exploring comparative judgment was the idea that a pupil who just scrapes the expected standard has more in common with someone who is at the top of working towards in inverted commas than they do with the people at the top of expected and so to, it, it is that that judgment across the comparison across different pieces isn't it um, and then she says use the sharing standards results and um, and so i think perhaps is this a, is this a precursor to no more marking but you've got like 199 schools 8,512 pupils 
shared their standards. And it was a trial looking at comparative judgment in year six. So, you know, if you've any partner schools who are utilizing either sharing standards or no more markets comparative judgment, you know, it's it's about moving towards that model to support our, our judgments, you know, so almost existing within the system, but moving ourselves closer to, you know, on the alternative. I just want to add to that because um, we, we do use normal marketing. They've recently, of course, it's going to sound like a promo for them, but it is really good. Um, they recently released something called the Writing Hub, which is um, sort of CPD for teachers around teaching writing. Um, and, it, and it focuses on sort of that restrictive practice. Like, so it looks at like run-on fragments, uh, sorry, sentence fragments and run-on sentences and so on. And each of those has a sort of video to go with it and a, and a CPD PowerPoint. Um, and there's like pre and post test that, uh, quizzes that you can give the kids where it like it's in its sort of um, infant stages, but I think it's quite powerful so far. And it's unlike anything I've seen before for writing. Um, and I think it's it's got a quite a bright fu- uh, future ahead of it. So definitely check that out if you use normal marking. It was definitely worthwhile exploring writing moderation. I think maybe worth revisiting a couple of years time to see where the conversation has gone by then. Touch wood will have moved towards something that's both more manageable and more reliable but you know watch this space and uh, no pressure tom brassington you know the fate of a nation lies on your shoulders and um, all i said to say is thank you very much neil for joining me thank you very much for having me back thank you elliot thanks for having me and to everyone at home until next time thanks for listening